Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone! If you want to get to know more about us, we are proud members of the Reformed Rebel Network. That's right. We have it made is. some changes. Do you like you like these changes? Yes. These are good changes across the board. Everything. Yeah. I think Ben has done a pretty good job, and Nate. Well, we have a pretty talented guy working on a new logo. Mm-hmm. That should be... Uh, Pardon me, y'all, while I open up my Pepsi. Yeah. Hear that? Yep. That's got some fizz in it. Not really. That, that was that was the sign of very little fizz. Mm, it's still Still there. good. <laughs> still. <laughs> oh, you guys, we have had... A crazy week. This has been nuts. We've just been laughing. It's like been one of those weeks where you just have to laugh or you'll feel completely overwhelmed, but you know that like in reality God's got it. And then he has a way of making everything work out for good. And it's like fun to watch in hindsight, but like in the moment it's super overwhelming. Yep. That's a that's a good it's a good way to put it. Yeah. So as most of you guys know, the job I have in the army is a religious affairs specialist, which means I work for the chaplains. And sometimes, though, chaplains let me do Bible studies or even preach at chapel services. Because you are in seminary and, like, you are actually a Christian, so. Yeah. And so this past Sunday, my chaplain was... uh, Incapacitated? He was. (laughs) (laughs) Brutally incapacitated. (laughs) And I was, I had to step in. It's really not funny. We shouldn't be laughing. It's true. Um, But the way you put it was just funny. That's the only part that's funny. Yes. Good clarification. (laughs) Okay. Um, But I had to fill the pulpit. And I found out that morning. You didn't have to. You got to. True. It was a a great privilege. It really was. Yes. And at five in the morning, I woke up and had a text message. Yeah. 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning that he was going to preach. At 9 a.m. that same Sunday morning. Yep. So that was the beginning of a crazy Sunday We should there. have known right then and there that was how our week was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking back now, we're like, this is how this week's going to go. So this week has consisted of, without us whining, this is not us whining, it's really quite funny. We're like, laughing. We, we, we literally really just think this is really funny. We have had a screw in our tire. Mm-hmm. We've with had, a washer on it. Yeah, like, <laughs> just straight up with a washer like <laughs> attached it. to it. It's super weird. Uh, Foul not, play? Maybe. Not like one of those screws that have the washer like a soldered fixed. onto yeah, it yeah. or whatever. Like, no, 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 no. This is a single washer attached to a single screw. It's real weird. I don't know how that happens. It did. <laughs> My bet's on foul play, but carry on. <laughs> And then we had oatmeal try, or we had our our child, that was hilarious. our child. <laughs> we have a breakfast bar, and it was hey guys, let's go eat at the table. And Erica had just handed Lila her bowl of hot steamy oatmeal, and Lila again, why are we laughing? I don't but know. it's like at another person's, you know, <laughs> expense. Anyway, it's at, our, it's at our own expense. She laughed later. 
She did. She wasn't in trouble. Lila was not in trouble. No, 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 She no, dropped no. the oatmeal, and it literally, like, splattered half across yeah. my kitchen. And I'm not exaggerating. Legitimately, half of my kitchen was <laughs> yeah. splattered with oatmeal. But, but Lila immediately goes, it's hot! It's hot! <laughs> No children were harmed. Oh, no, yeah, she was, she really didn't even get burned. I think it just... Scared her. Yeah, scared her. We went to a post office to apply for passports. Mm-hmm. And we drove an hour out of the city so that it would be an easier experience. Went out to Long Island. Yep. We uh, sat there for, well, the first post office we went to. Well, that was the first scare of it was... Re- required we, an appointment. We show up and the guy goes, oh, you got an appointment? And we're like, and I dang specific- it! I, I had looked online... To make sure we didn't have to make an appointment. Apparently, their online information's wrong. <laughs> yes. And then we went to a different post office a little bit down the way. Did and not require appointments. No. But we were there for like two hours. And to be at a post office for like two hours with three small children. Not really small. I shouldn't say small children anymore. They're not small. No. They're medium-sized children. <laughs> that's what, yeah, I'd put them in the medium stage. Yeah, regardless, no. <laughs> it's still quite cumbersome. It's not a fun place for kids. It's really so not. <laughs> they had fun sitting in the chair that you sit in to get passport oh, photos. It's very stressful. And then their payment methods were all wonky. They don't take any cards. So it was like personal check, but we're an hour and a half away from home. Yep. And anyway, it all worked out. It was just a crazy day. We crazy were... week. Well, crazy... And, and yesterday... The the kid. Oh yeah, and then I found a stray kid who was four years old wandering around our neighborhood. Our our neighborhood on post all by himself, and we had to call the MPs because he didn't know where he lived. Just saying, watch your kids. I was like, I'm just gonna keep putting this spare tire on. There were a few other things, but we don't need to sit here and bemoan our week. That's just, but we're laughing now. It's just been one of those weeks where you're like, eh, what? We just like get to bed at night and we're like, huh, this is a real weird day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, on top of, like, normal things like work and school and just keeping up a normal life, like, right. all these other extra things were thrown in there. And it was just all weird stuff. Like, what a variety. We even had weird weather today. It was, like, normal cloudy day in the morning. And then out of nowhere, we had crazy winds and rain, hail, and snow all at the same time. Yeah, that was different. And then 30 minutes later, blue skies. I don't know what's going on with our life. It's kind of fun in some way. I don't know. But it could be over. I'd be okay with it being over. Everything worked out. It did. It really worked out. But so it's been... it was good. So what we're telling you is, if this episode is super weird, I am so sorry, but like this is just where we're at this week. Yeah, there's no escaping it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> this is well. This is all we can give you. So here we sit. But be on the lookout for the next few weeks or so ish. Right, we have some good guests lined up yeah some ones that we're pretty stoked about yeah get excited definitely not going to share who it's going to be with you because i want you to get excited too yeah, in case it doesn't happen maybe they <laughs> and in case they cancel in case they change their mind and <laughs> yeah they're like mm, nah y'all are weird we're not doing this which is likely no it's based not. on our week it's likely <laughs> right based on uh, yeah if they listen to this right now maybe they will cancel we'll see oh good gracious all right what are we talking about tonight so Besides you, our crazy, weird week. Yeah, that could go on for a while. So you and I were very helped by a essay that James Jordan has written about symbolism in the Bible. And I think you and I have been talking about this for a while, actually. And so we're talking about symbolism in the Bible. That's going to be our topic tonight. And Erica and I have been talking about the symbolism in the Bible and where 
where we kind of see it everywhere and how we've grown up with an understanding of the Bible where a literal meaning or like just taking the meaning of a passage by itself is to be favored, not not to look at the Bible as a connected whole and to connect these symbols throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. Typically, when you tell someone that you're a Christian, you may have someone, especially if they're an atheist or kind of hostile to Christianity, they may ask you, do you believe then that the Bible is literal? Like, do you read the Bible literally? Mm-hmm. And we have heard many different responses. Some are really good, some are bad. But in the Reformed faith, typically we respond with, yes, we take it all literally, except for the types of scriptures that are not meant to be taken literally because of the type of literature that they are. Right. And then some people kind of play with that question and say, yes, I take everything literal according to its literature. Right. You know, the, yeah, the Reformed understanding of is that God speaks in symbolic ways. God speaks in metaphor quite often Mm -hmm. through the Holy Spirit's uh, gift of new eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. We're able to read those passages and and understand them and benefit from them and learn from them. And that's why when Jesus spoke in parables, he said, I spoke in par- I, I speak in parables mm-hmm. for this reason, because it's only granted to you guys to understand. Right. And everyone else is going to hear it and go, that sounds nuts and walk away. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's the eyes of belief versus eyes of unbelief. So, before we get too far out of ourselves, in our little article that James Jordan was um, writing, he talked about how a lot of Christians would say that they believe in the biblical creation account, yet in their interpretation of scripture and seeing scripture as only literal Mm -hmm. and only in a Western rationalistic rationalism kind of way right they are doing just the opposite and he did a really great job in his essay describing how because god created humans and everything else that we see all of that is actually a symbol yeah and we know this because in the creation narrative god says let us make man in our image after Mm -hmm. our likeness right and so he was saying how mankind in and of himself is a symbol yep and even the words that god uses is symbolic like when we read our bibles the words on the page are symbols that communicate something to us and one thing that i thought was a really interesting point was that he said humans are the only symbols that create symbols Yeah, yeah, that was good. And and the first thing that he pointed out was how Adam named all of the animals. Mm -hmm. And because God creates us and names us, and he listed a few verses in the creation account, we, like God, being made in his image, do the same thing. Though though our creative abilities are restructuring, Right. right? We don't create out of nothing. Like God did, we restructure it. And that's the task God's given us. Right. The but subduing all of, it of the is, earth. Right. And that is all symbolic with, you know, what you do when you build a home is still going to be a symbol of what you love mm-hmm. and who you worship. And I know we're going to get more into the practical mm-hmm. day-to-day aspects of where we see symbology Sim- in our mm-hmm. lives, but that's that's the beginnings of it. Okay. So one of his main points was that Symbols create reality, not vice versa. 
Mm-hmm. So we would say that because we are symbols, we create what happens in reality. And you have to start, in order to rightly see scripture and rightly understand the world, you have to understand that concept. Yeah. Yeah. So all that means is that God in his mind, right, in the mind of God, there first was the idea of creation, Mm -hmm. and then it was created. Jonathan Edwards' understanding of the Trinity in a very helpful essay said something very similar about the Son of God and the and how the Son of God is generated from the Father. And we, we're not getting into that, but it's very similar understanding that the concept of something or the, the thought, if you will, mm-hmm. is the symbol first and then the reality comes. And so obviously God thought you know, like he, like in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. There was the concept, and then he did. Mm-hmm. And man, being made in the image of God, does the same thing. We think of something, we conceive of something, mm-hmm. and then we put forth effort to bring it about into reality. So us being this symbol then, in turn, th- thinks the thought and then creates the reality that we were thinking about. Yeah, and God's actions, though, are ex nihilo. Right. right. They yes. they are out of nothing, but ours are more of a restructuring because we only take what we already have mm-hmm. here and restructure them. So we take symbols and we restructure mm-hmm. reality. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a little different, but it's inescapable, though. Right. Mm-hmm. The use of symbols and, and acting in this way is inescapable because you can't escape being made in the image of God. And so this is where a Christian perspective of symbolism would be the polar opposite of like that rationalistic worldview. All that there is is the tangible. Right. And there is nothing besides that. So in a sense, they do believe in symbolism, but they would believe that the symbolism isn't necessarily a symbol, but just the reality. Does that make sense? I think so, because their their view, you know, the old Western philosophies really really view the world as a as all material right. there isn't really yeah they have their mythology and there's this you know demiurge that comes to the the eternal matter and restructures it and forms it and stuff like that but um it all kind of comes from mythology more than true true belief of anything mm-hmm. um really they believe in a universal materialistic world that we here just kind of Mm-hmm. mess with right and and so their so their view is not biblical but the the issue here because if this is if this makes a lot of sense to to you guys listening i i know that there are tons of people because i've i've heard bible teachers or professors at the bible college eric and i uh met at speak very ill towards those who want to give credit to understanding the symbolism in right. the Bible. Oh, yeah. You're kind of viewed as a kook. You're off smoking something. <laughs> right. If you want to look at symbolism and, and understand what God's doing when it comes to symbols in the Bible, you know, you're taking everything allegorically mm-hmm. and, you know, you can just make up whatever you want to make up now. Right. Because you're not reading things literally anymore and that's dangerous. Right. And I remember thinking this way. Yeah, same. But even just this little bit, thinking about the creation account, you're like, man, that's inescapable. And that makes perfect sense. Right. And there are several examples throughout scripture where God does use symbols over and over and over and over again. And actually, I just started reading my new, you know, read the year in the Bible plan. Yeah. I said that right. I don't even know. I'll listen back to (laughs) it. Read read the Bible in a year plan. Did I say that? That's what I'm doing. And... 
the structure of this reading plan is so interestingly set up that I'm starting to see a lot of the same concepts between different books of the Bible that I've never seen before. Yeah. And I've been telling you a few of them throughout. And it's just interesting to me how typically when God uses a donkey, it's like the donkey all throughout scripture is used for a particular purpose. And then in the New Testament, God redeems the donkey. And like, you kind of like see these symbols all throughout scripture. And so as a Christian, when we see something like a donkey, like a dove, like a whatever, like Mm -hmm. a fig tree, like a you name the yeah. symbol. Water. Water. Water's a big one. Um, I mean, there's just tons of them. When you see these symbols, instantly in your mind, it connects to, like, all the other stories where you've chronologued the other stories where God talks yeah. about water or God talks about the donkeys, and it should all, like, fit together and click. You should be biblically triggered. Yeah. And, like, that helps you then understand what this story yeah, is pointing to. Yeah, what's going on to. here. Because the individual story still fits into a grander, larger narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that the rationalistic, literalist um, interpretation of scripture doesn't right. allow for. Yeah. The one story is about that one instance and that's it. It doesn't connect to anything. You know, just taking what you just said about it it making you focus on one passage and that's it and not take it into consideration of the whole. No wonder we bought into dispensationalism. Right. Yeah. Right. Because if you think about it, that is a very dispensational way of thinking. And as I was thinking through um, this idea of symbolism, I think like a covenant is just a grand symbol. Yeah. You know? And so being covenantal and and believing in covenant theology, you have to to some extent, buy into this idea that all of life is symbolism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And he talked about, um, like, the primary symbols that were given as uh, God's people. One of the main ones was the sacraments, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now, in the New Covenant era, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Which a lot of churches neglect every week. Right. Moving on. But, (laughs) right. Shame on you if you're one of them. Um, But so if they are going to neglect the Lord's Supper, what do you see churches do instead, though? How many churches do, um, okay, there's a piece of, you know, there's a pad of paper in front of your seat. Go ahead and write down that sin that easily ensnares you, right? Just write down that sin. And then there's this cross up on stage. And Have you done this before? No, I've never done this, actually. Okay, but I've God. seen it done. You know, and I know everyone's probably heard of seen these events or done it um but you go up and you nail your sin on this cross and you have this whole event Mm -hmm. you're just replacing the sacraments you're still participating in another symbolic gesture ritual gesture that is supposed to minister to you draw you closer to god help you commune with god have peace with god but the problem is that you're being blasphemous because you think that you can create a symbol better than god's symbol that exactly. he has ordained for you in scripture right god has ordained for you in the worship of him on a sunday morning on the lord's day to celebrate baptism and celebrate the lord's supper so if you're neglecting those and then forging your own i mean i, I don't know of any higher form of blasphemy than to just be like you know screw your plan god i'm making up my own Right, and it neglects the symbolic value of wine and the bread, too. Let's start connecting some thoughts here. Okay. Because you're talking about, like, marring, like, exchanging a symbol or marring a symbol. Yeah. 
we would say, and I'm not super legalistic about this at all, but like even in scripture, we see that when communion is served, it mm-hmm. is wine. It's not grape juice. Yeah. But that even in that symbol, there is like the wine symbolizes something. Mm-hmm. And so to take out that symbol and exchange it with grape juice, thinking in our wisdom that that would be a really great idea. You are still tainting that a little bit, right? Like to some extent, you're still changing what that wine symbolizes by exchanging it with something else. Yeah, because part of the the value of the symbol of wine is that it it brings joy, right? Wine makes the heart glad. And of course, we're talking about the effects of alcohol, uh-huh. right? And that is the wedding at Cana, right? Jesus turned a whole ton of water into a whole ton of good wine. Right. And they had a great wedding celebration. Right. And this is this is biblical that that is a celebratory drink and part of the reason why it's a great celebratory drink is because of the alcohol that's in it well and also you um, take that out you've lost that element the two symbols being bread and then wine james jordan also had another phenomenal article about Mm -hmm. bread and wine how the two elements of communion are highly symbolic because bread symbolizes instant grace instant Gratification. Gratification. Bread is uh, obviously made from grains, which mm-hmm. sprout up, and you can instantly make bread or you know yeah. food out of the grain that you produce. Wine is different because even after you harvest wine, it still takes time to ferment, and the longer it ferments, the flavors mature, and right. it's something that takes longer to achieve. So when we look at wine being introduced into the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, it symbolizes maturity. It symbolizes like a full, like being brought into the fullness of that covenant, you know? Which is why you partake of it second, not first. Right, which is why the bread comes first, because that would come first, Mm -hmm. and then wine comes after. Yeah, well, even... Jesus' body came first, and then the blood came after, too. I mean, there's so much symbology everywhere right? in these things. And so, so, okay, speaking of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we're just going to keep going on this tangent. That's not a tangent. This no. We're just hyped up on symbology right now. Yeah. It might sound a bit tangent-y, but we're just, we're just excited seeing this kind My of stuff. My brain feels tangent-y, so I'm sorry. It's been that week. In scripture, we see that everything must be established by two or three witnesses. Yep. When we look at the Lord's Supper, we would say that the elements of, uh, even in communion, the fact that there is bread and wine right. is those are those two witnesses mm-hmm. that would bear witness. Right. To the reality that's present in the, in the ritual, I'd say. Yeah. You know what I mean? To the to the true meaning of Jesus' spiritual presence being there to feed us and as a means of grace mm-hmm. uh, work in us. That act of the Lord's Supper is our covenant renewal. Not in that we're making another covenant, but it's us reaffirming, refreshing our relationship. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, you know, a husband and a wife at the end of the day. Um, the husband comes home from work. You haven't seen each other all day, and you hug and kiss, and you're you've been United. reunited again. Mm-hmm. It's renewed again. The union is renewed. Mm-hmm. That that's the idea of the Lord's Supper with us and our Lord. And so those those two witnesses, right? Those two things bear witness to the to the, to the true reality of yeah. that event, right? And then in the proclamation of the word, same way we have Old and New Testament, right? And so we use both in our scripture readings or in a sermon, 
I would suggest you always use Old and New Testament passages in your sermon, Mm -hmm. regardless of where you're preaching from. I mean, I think if you can't correlate your New Testament passage (laughs) with the Old or vice versa, you probably don't understand the passage anyway. Yeah, and if you preach an Old Testament sermon and, and it doesn't lead you to talk about Jesus, you've missed the point. Right. But those two testaments, right, those the Old Covenant and the New Covenant bear witness to the truth and the proclamation of the truth, right? Okay, so now that we've got that out of our system a little bit. All right. Let's talk about two types of symbols. Okay. Now, we're not talking about, like, biblical, though certainly some of them would be, Mm -hmm. but verbal and nonverbal symbols. Oh, I got a good nonverbal. Okay. Let's talk about verbal first, though. Okay. (laughs) So verbal symbols would obviously be symbols that you could verbalize. Yeah. Things like marriage vows. Yeah. Are highly symbolic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. Confessions of faith. Okay. Oaths of any sort. Yeah. I would say, like, a lot of music is... Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. A verbal symbol. Why this is important is because a lot of times Christians will say, oh, it's just a song. Yeah. It's just a divorce. Like, yeah, fill in the you blank. fill in the blank. Yeah, it's just this. It's It doesn't matter. But the problem is that it does matter. And we need to understand that this symbol of this song is pointing to a reality. And perhaps the reality is a bad reality or the reality that it's pointing to is a flawed reality that is dishonoring the ultimate reality. So, yeah. And like like we said earlier, right, what we do and what we do symbolically is a restructuring of reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, that song, oh, it's just a song. No, that song very well may be restructuring, I would say probably is restructuring right. reality in such a way. Well, is that such a way righteous or unrighteous? Mm-hmm. Is it sinful or is it godly? You can't, again, you can't escape it because we're all made in the image of God. So everything we do is going to carry that symbolic weight to it. And that's why musicians and actors and the like do actually create culture. Yeah, exactly. Because they're building structure or building symbols. Yeah. And like we we say all the time, there's no neutrality. Right. And this just supports that even more. Right. Yeah. Because you're either building a symbol that adequately represents what it ought or you're not or you're marring it and you're pretending that it is. And then you're trying to change what is ultimate reality. Yeah. And, you know, you you mentioned wedding vows, and that's such a good example of it being, you know, those vows were a symbol of something because you, you know, you can just picture the scene of a marriage fight or conflict going on or something happening. And you're like, what about our vows? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe what's going on wasn't specifically in the vows, but it's because they were a symbol Mm -hmm. of something much deeper, a much deeper reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And union. Yeah. Okay, so we could probably go on and on about that, but yeah. what about nonverbal? Well, just sitting symbols? here thinking, there's a nonverbal symbol that that I'm a part of all the time, and it's saluting officers. Well, anyone, any uniform in general it would be a symbol, whether yeah. it's a man in army fatigues or whether it's someone in a police officer, you know, uniform. A doctor, a nurse. True. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was just thinking about the action of, you know, saluting an officer. Uh-huh. All I'm doing is raising my hand. True. 
and slapping my forehead and putting it back down, but it it means a whole lot more. It symbolizes something. Yeah, you know, it symbolizes something. Right. But yeah, you're right. Uniforms in any way really Mm -hmm. are uh, a symbol of something. Even how we dress in general. That's true. This is what Lila and I were talking about earlier. Like, you can say, because like Grant said earlier, we have been talking about symbols in the Van Brimmer household for a long time. But you can say, as a woman, I should be able to dress however I want and show Mm -hmm. as much cleavage as I want, and it shouldn't matter. You should still treat me with respect, and there should be no negative consequence to my lack of modesty. But that simply isn't true because bare breasts throughout all of culture have always symbolized (laughs) something. It's always been a symbol of promiscuity, of sex appeal, of desire, of passion. Right. So to say that you should be able to do something, though the symbol itself is symbolizing the opposite, is illogical. Well, and the fact that that little argument even happens kind of proves the point, doesn't it? Right, yeah. So we can't, again, can't escape it. So another nonverbal symbol would be liturgy. And I know this is like one of our favorite things to talk about is liturgy. It is as of late. And because I took the Christian worship class. And so yeah, you learn about how the church has done worship all through the ages. And you're like, oh, I just want to be a part I of that. I think because we grew up in like such a... A 30-year-old movement? Yeah. I don't know. It, I mean, obviously, every church is liturgical. Every church does True. follow some basic form or structure. We would just say some, like, some of their symbols, some of their liturgies yeah. are just not biblical. Like you said, they're made right. up. They have made up ordinances or what have you. And then some actually do have much intentionality behind Mm -hmm. what they do, why they do it, and the order they do it. Like you said, why do we take bread before we take wine? What does that symbolize? Why do we we partake of the Lord's Supper after the sermon? Right. Why do we, you know, why is the sermon where it is? And all of that symbolizes something. Right. Not to get too deep into the waters of this just yet because there might be a series on this in the future hold on here comes pepsi you got any oh even less fizz (laughs) but one of the first things we do or you know the first thing we do at church is a call to worship and then a hymn that that uh that characterizes ascension or coming to the house of the lord to to worship worship and to gather and worship together and so of course that symbolizes uh, you've been called by God to come worship, and then we sing a song about how we're going to come to worship. And that is true all throughout Scripture. You can see the Israelites singing on their way to worship. Right. And that symbolizes obedience. Mm-hmm. It symbolizes... Joyful obedience. Not just yeah. begrudging submission, but joyful obedience. Because it's a privilege to be able to do that. It symbolizes the fact that we reckon ourselves the people of God. Like There's all sorts of things that when we do that, are are carried along with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, of course, there's a whole lot more to the service that is all symbolic, too, but... Okay, so there's all many, many different types of symbols. Yeah. So we could keep going on and on about this, and especially when it pertains to liturgy. Our pastor is very uh, intelligent, and he has thought through his worship service yeah. meticulously yeah. and can explain each and every little part of the worship service and why he does it that way, yeah. which is amazing and immensely fascinating so you could do that there is no wing in it going on 
Oh, no. With our pastor. No. Which makes for a very enjoyable service. Uh, but what would you say to the Christian who says that um, symbolism is boring, that symbolism, like when you walk into a liturgical, quote unquote, a liturgical church, so yeah. like a church like we would go to, mm-hmm. uh, it's very boring, it's stuffy, um, it's just not how we do things anymore. We should stop doing church that way. And we should start doing things like the Hillsong, the Elevation type churches, where they're catering to the current generation. Do you think they understand symbolism better than we do in, to some extent? This is kind of a loaded question. Is it? Yeah. You have your own little... Maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's not fully formed in my brain yet, but that's about no, how our night's been going. Of, so <laughs> there's no promise that something smart will come out. Well, my first thought is that there's nothing in the Bible that they could point to that warrants a disorderly service mm-hmm. that points to a winging it style of coming together and worshiping God. What if they'd say, we don't wing it, we just don't buy into your liturgy? Well, I would tell them, like, you still do liturgy. Yeah. Like, you still does. have a opening and a this and then that and then this many songs and then the guy preaches and then you pray and then you... And it's pretty much right. the same every week. Yeah. You do conduct a liturgy. Right. Um, Yours is just less thought through. Yeah. But the problem with Hillsong, Elevation... And Bethel and all this kind of stuff nowadays that is pretty much the Pentecostal movement is that they've bought into the romanticism of probably the 1800s where uh, I think it's Rousseau that that spoke a lot about this. Whatever is spontaneous is the most real. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, you know, so whatever spouts out of your heart is what the truest and most right thing is. Right. That's the most true. That's the most true you. Those and, things are often the worst things. <laughs> right, no kidding, right? That's like got to count to ten, and then right, like that's, mm-hmm. you don't want that to come out first. And doesn't that just sound like today where we're like, be true to you, be right. the real you, or whatever? And it's like you don't have like a fake you and a real well, you. Well, this is the problem that we would say the real me is God. The real me is Jesus, right? Because we're created in the image of God. So the truest mm-hmm. form or like, I'm not God. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying I yeah, was yeah. created in his image. The truest way to live. So the truest, best way to live would be to imitate Christ. Yeah. And if that means writing out your prayer so that you know every word of that prayer reflects. So that I better reflect him. That's a him, better option for me. That's much better. Exactly. And so they're misinterpreting the symbol. They're yeah. They're believing that they can be something apart from what it is they're actually reflecting and a mirror image of. Right. And because we're sinners, we have to have the grace from from God's symbol, the word of God, right? We need the grace of that to change us and conform us back to what we were originally created in. Mm-hmm. We can't just trust our spontaneous overflowings, you know? Like, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a bad plan. Continuing on that thought um, of like marred imaging, mm-hmm. marred symbols, uh, like Hillsong being the most terrible version of a biblical liturgy, right? <laughs> things like that. We could easily then look at culture as a Christian mm-hmm. using our newly formed symbolic brains and say the homosexuals understand this concept quite well. They've taken yes, they the do. rainbow and made that their symbol of something. Mm-hmm. And you can see rainbows everywhere throughout all their campaigns, 
all their clothing, all their gay pride marches. Like, they understand symbolism so well. Yeah. Something really interesting about the homosexual lifestyle is that when you look at a homosexual male, Mm -hmm. typically he's very effeminate, very... Uh, I don't even know how else to say it. He's just gay. Opposite of how he's <laughs> like I know that sounds stupid, to... but very limp-wristed. Yep. Uh, and then if you Malakoy. look at it, and that's not always true. I'm sure there are masculine, right? You know, like burly, beard growing, like Deep homosexual voice. males. Like I'm sure that exists somewhere no, in the no world. No lisp. Right. I'm sure that's out there. But by and large, like 99% of them are effeminate. And same with lesbians. There are beautiful lesbians. But by and large, most lesbians are not as beautiful as they could be. Yeah. Right? And then I think of 1 Corinthians 11. It's 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about head coverings, right? Yep. And then Paul's talking about how it's a shame for a woman to have short hair and it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And he's pointing out this idea that... A man should be masculine and he should look masculine and a woman should be feminine and look feminine. And then the the homosexuals come along and they take the image that or the, the symbol that mm-hmm. they are and they mar it. They destroy it. So instead of a woman looking feminine and beautiful mm-hmm. so that she can correctly resemble the you know who she's supposed to be symbolizing, right. she destroys it. In an effort to defame God. Yeah, she restructures reality in an unrighteous way. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's literally an attack on the Godhead. Right. Just let that settle in for a minute, like what we're saying there. But it's... But it's true. But it's true. And this is God's world. I mean, not only his design, obviously, because he created our bodies and we should honor him with our bodies, but also him. It's an attack on him personally. Right. Before we wrap this up, yeah. at the end of James Jordan's essay, there was one quote that I thought was so profound, and I think it would be helpful for us to make a distinction with it. Okay. It is, we can outgrow man's symbols, but we cannot outgrow God's. That's good. Because man was created to create a Christian culture mm-hmm. that we should be constantly reforming and trying to... Um, take something good and make it better. God made the Garden of Eden. It was good. And then he told Adam to go make the rest of creation look that way. Yeah. Like the idea of progress, maturity, that sort of thing. Yeah. That that concept that a perpetual progress. Yeah. So he said a lot of mankind symbols need to be um, respected. And we should look at things like the U.S. Constitution or... Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith and say these are good, helpful things that mm-hmm. if we use correctly can benefit us. Right. But let's try and improve upon them. Let's yeah. try and not just stay here and stay stagnant, but continue on in our growth. Yeah, not forsake it, but like build upon it. Right. Exactly. And, and grow, yeah. But then this is where it might be helpful, too, because we look at things like church liturgy. Mm-hmm. God has ordained the like baptism and the Lord's Supper to be our ordinances. Right. We cannot improve upon that, nor should we think that we can uh, do away with those yeah. and bring about improved ordinances of our own creating. Our sin nature does that all the time. Right. We want to take our symbols and make them unchangeable. Right. 
And what did Jesus say all the time? Like your man-made traditions. Yeah. And your man-made traditions have now caused you to disobey God. Yeah. I guess, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. True. True. But that. but like you're saying, it's it'd be good for us to pay attention to these things and to realize man's symbols that mm-hmm. we've created, like you've been saying, should be improved upon. But it might be helpful when picking a church, if you're like new to an area or if yeah. you are a pastor ordering your church, um, even in your own home, like as parents. Yeah. How do you order your home? What symbols should you reject and what symbols should, could you improve upon? Right. Hopefully this episode gets your gets your wheels turning and and uh and starts to help you guys pick some of this out as you read your Bible. Mm-hmm. And and go Which about, is a symbol. Which <laughs> and just go about your daily life and you start to see where these symbols play a role in everything. Yeah. And hey, James Jordan, uh, I've heard it said that he's either on to something or he's on something. I think it might be a combination <laughs> of the two. And, you know, it, he's one of those uh, very helpful in a lot of ways. And in yeah, other ways, you're like, eh, I'll pass. And then it's fine. It's But on this topic in particular, I think he nails it. Yeah, he, he his uh, his stuff on Old Testament, like on Genesis and the Judges and um, a lot of Old Testament stuff, James Jordan is, is you know, the boss. It's not even just James Jordan, because our pastor was talking about it on Sunday in our yeah. Sunday school class. He had made mention to the the state capital of California that is flying the gay flag. It doesn't surprise me. Or a courthouse. Something like that. There's either the state capital oh, it was or the, a courthouse. It was a courthouse, because you okay. told me about this. Again, remember, I wasn't at church with my wife because I had to he, work. Yeah, he was preaching at a different um, church but anyway some courthouse or something in california yeah. is flying the gay probably flag the state outside. supreme court probably yeah probably we could we should have fact checked this yeah i mean i could quick do yeah, a it's okay. google machine it's okay operation if people okay. trust us <laughs> pastor was talking about how the once again the lgbtq people they really understand symbolism yeah. they're flying their rainbow flag but even the fact that the courthouse is flying this flag symbolizes something to the people. Right. A flag is something that's flown above a courthouse because what we're saying in theory is that we all unite under this one flag. Yeah. This has authority over us. Our constitution has an authority over us. And here we bend the knee. We pledge allegiance to, right? When we when we put a LGBTQ rainbow flag above the courthouse, what are we symbolically saying? We are going to bend the knee mm-hmm. to them. Right. That we will unite and submit to them and their authority. It's very symbolic. Yeah, definitely. So that was a bonus. Yeah, free chicken. <laughs> All right, guys. Are you good, babe? I think so. All right. Should we drop a, a link to the article? In the, mm, sure. You know, if, if we get real handy, uh, check the show notes. If some more disaster does not befall and, uh, us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, there'll be a link to the essay uh, by Jordan. It's a, it's a bit lengthy. It's not that bad. It's like an eight minute read. He's not a hard read, but no. you gotta you gotta pay attention though. Yeah. You get lost. You get lost in his. You'll feed. be fine. All right, guys. We thank you so much for listening. Tune in again next week. Again, remember, coming up the next few weeks, we got some good guests. Lord willing. Lord willing. 
So we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a Dark state, Alaska in the wintertime, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest truth that should get you speechless. What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces. Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus. Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees' wicked spite against Christ that turned this into naked night. He called the rabbi and gave him props, said he was a teacher from God. Jesus replied, made him stop. Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in. In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again. That must have consumed and stretched his mind, cause he said, Can a man enter his mother's womb a second Time? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh-huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation and situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal pure his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The lamb is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who was given new birth from above